Checktown. Somebody is back this week, and it is Blue Chew. This episode is sponsored by Blue Chew. They bring you the first chewable with the same active ingredients as Viagra and Cialis. Blue Chew is made in the good old US of A. It is prescribed online by a licensed physician, so you don't have to go to a doctor or wait in line. It is cheaper than a pharmacy, and they prepare and ship it right to you in a discreet package. No awkwardness, and you don't need to leave the house. It's great. So go to BlueChew.com. Get your first shipment free when you use the special promo code it's going to be a new one dr tom and just pay five dollars shipping again that's b-l-u-e-q.com promo code dr tom to try it for free bluetooth remember they are better a cheaper choice and we like to thank them for sponsoring the show remember you, you can obviously uh, support us by supporting them you can help make this podcast grow even more by going to a bluetooth.com again make sure you use the promo code dr tom and of course one more time bluetooth.com dr tom you gotta love bluetooth Oh, I, I do. I, I've tried it before, and uh, especially when they were one of our sponsors. And uh, it, it is a great product. Uh, so I, I enjoyed it myself. Let me just say that. I, I don't know how far I can really uh, stress uh, about Blue Chew. But, but, yeah, great product. Try it out, and you get a free opportunity when you contact them. So, yeah. Yes. Fantastic. And just that's D-R-T-O-M, Dr. Tom. Pretty simple. BlueChew.com, a free, uh, free product. $5 shipping. So very, very good stuff there from Bluetooth. The upcoming presentation is a two-man power trip of wrestling podcast production. Dr. Tom Pritchard, I am your co-host, J.P. John Paz, and with me, as always, is the star of the show, former WWE World Tag Team Champion and eight-time Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champion, one of the greatest trainers in the history of professional wrestling, the Doctor of Desire, Tom Pritchard. Tom, how are you doing today? I'm doing great today, J.P. It's been a wonderful day, and I can't wait for the week. Nice. You've got so much on the horizon, so much going on as far as training, and obviously this will be the the second week of our show. First week went so well, got a lot of uh, high praise, got a lot of uh, great stuff coming out of last week. They they love Dr. Tom. They love hearing from Dr. Tom. Well, that's always a positive, I guess, huh? Yeah. Because usually after I talk to people too long, they say, all right, we've had enough, get them away. But we're doing good. <laughs> Good. <laughs> yeah, off to a to a very good start. And I figured with episode two and the second week, we can kind of you know talk a little bit about 
training, obviously, but I want to talk about maybe the best student or the most well-known student or one of the biggest stars ever in the history of the business and Hollywood and everything else. I want to talk about how you started training Dwayne Johnson. Everyone knows him as The Rock. When did you first lay your eyes on young Dwayne Johnson? Gosh, man, that had to have been... uh... Uh, I I want to say the summer of 1996 because that was the first class we had and it was uh, three guys. It was uh, Brockus, aka Akam Albrecht, Mark Henry was just uh, coming off the 96 Olympics, Summer Olympics. <clears throat> Pardon me, and Dwayne Johnson. Uh, so I, I believe at that time uh, in in the probably starting in May, I think. I'm not quite sure when he went to Memphis, but I think he was doing some shows in Memphis. He'd been on the road a little bit and just just getting his feet wet. Of course, he, he had been around the business his whole life. He was a natural performer, obviously. And uh, he came in, along with Mark and Ockham, um, in August. And we had set up the studio in WWE uh, TV studios at 120 Hamilton Avenue, and we just started training. They had, they had gotten each of us an apartment. We were going to share uh, an apartment like I, I was supposed to share with uh, Mark, and it was going to be Occam and, and Dwayne or something, and I just decided, no, I, I think as the coach, I'm going to go ahead and get my own place in downtown, lovely uh, downtown Stanford, Connecticut. And I did. But uh, that was when I first met him is uh, the summer of 1996. I didn't really know a whole lot about him except he was Rocky Johnson's son. But he had that Chia Pet haircut, uh, young and, and, and energetic, and had a lot of, uh, let me see, personality, yes. But, but uh, he he was he was one of those guys that you knew had the look he had the size he had every everything uh all he had the recipe for success if he would just you know some guys come in with the recipe but they they don't know uh instead of putting one egg in they'll put two or they'll 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 change up the uh the quantity or leave an ingredient out and and you can do that sometimes but um uh most of the time you need to follow the recipe and, and stick to what what gets you over and stick to your strong points and don't uh, don't shine your bad ones and and Dwayne was very good at that Dwayne was good at pretty much everything though and he was he was up for challenging himself and he was uh, um, just a, a very he was he was the shining point obviously of that camp of Occam and Mark so that's when I met him July or July August uh, of 96, Vince had already called me in his office and said, hey, uh, we are going to start this program. He didn't say program, but he said we're going to start this training because I think WCW still had their power plant. We weren't building talent from inside. It was kind of getting talent from elsewhere and things like that. So Vince had this idea, and uh, that's how it started. Where does he come up with, like, all right, Dr. Tom, you're going to be the guy to kind of counteract WCW. They got Paul Orndorff from the power plant or, you know, whoever they have down there. 
you're going to be the the guy for me. You're going to be the head trainer. Bruce and I were in Houston. Uh, gosh, I don't even know what year it was. It was obviously in the in the nineties and or eighties, I think it was. Yeah, because I was going back and forth, and and we were in Houston at the same time. And uh, I hooked up with Tiger Conway Jr. And we he said, why don't you come on down to this. Uh, place a guy named tugboat taylor in houston had a had a ring set up in this building and tiger was going to go down there help some of the guys he says why don't you come along and just see what you can do with these guys too and i never taught anybody either i taught karate for a little bit but never taught wrestling so anyway we went in and uh bruce came with me and i just got in the ring and i showed these guys a simple Headlock takeover, I showed a way to go in an arm drag uh, just to go behind. It went over a couple spots, just basic, basic stuff. But I stopped, and I explained why I was doing what I was doing. And I, I really don't think anything of that. I didn't think anything of that, but because that's I, – I, at this stage of my career in the, in the late 80s, I had been a uh, – I was finally a heel, and that was my job, was to help whoever I was working with tell a story and the heel was leading the match at that time and that was that was a real uh learning experience so uh bruce knew i had taught these guys in houston he'd seen me teach and he just brought it up to Vince. said hey uh tom's done it before tom's taught some guys in houston so why not and i don't know that vince even thought anything else past this or past three guys or or if he was going to really actually wanted to do a whole system or program that's why i don't really believe he said we want to do this program but later i learned um, that that was that was what Bruce was under the impression he wanted to do, and uh, so that's that's how it, that's how it came about. I think out of a conversation, and uh, we went from there, and from there it it uh, it turned into an to a new position in WWE. So it was great, great for you, absolutely. And yeah. that first class, really, it's just going to be. Three guys. It's going to be Brackett, Mark Henry, and Dwayne Johnson. That's all he wanted for the first class, just three guys? Well, it's all that he had recruited. This was a new, mm. uh, I think, avenue for them to go through. Like, Mark Henry was just coming off the Summer Olympics in 1986. He was the strongest man in in, uh, in the world, a big power lifter. He had this infectious smile. He had this personality. He was still young, uh, just a kid, but a big, strong kid. And I think Occam, obviously from the bodybuilding world, um, mm-hmm. was was always on his radar. knew knew about Occam, and Occam, I think, shown interest. And uh, and of course, Pat Patterson was the guy who uh, who who'd gone down. I think had seen Rock in Miami, or it might have been either Tampa or Miami. So I'm in Florida somewhere, and said this kid is going to be something. So yeah, it was those first three, and after that. Uh, gosh, 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 gosh. I think after that was, was when Dory Funk Jr. came in and we started some of the Funkin' Dojos and kind of went from there. But, but yeah, those three, and that was our job uh, all day, every day. We'd go to the gym over at Titan Towers and eat and then come back uh, to the studios and train for about four or five hours that afternoon. And, um, yeah, it was a very nice, uh, very nice time to be around Titan Studios at that time, actually. Now, as far as 
The Rock. He said, you, you know, you knew he was the son of Rocky Johnson. Did you know the the lineage and, and the family? You know, the, the high chief Peter Maivia was his grandfather. Did you know all that kind of going in? Like, wow, this guy might be a little bit ahead of everyone because of his family legacy. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, I, I I've been a student of the game my whole life, but yeah, I knew of his. Uh, uh, I knew of the lineage. I knew of the connection. But there have been a lot of second and third and fourth generation guys who, who never really made it. Um, honest to goodness, you you knew he had, again, he had all the tools. And he had the ingredients. Uh, I just, it was a matter of putting the ingredients in order. You know, do you simmer this first? Do you, do you get him to learn how to lock up? Do you get him to learn how to walk around? Do you get him comfortable in the ring? Well, he had already been in the ring for a couple months, and that's cool. But the next step with him was getting him ready for Survivor Series. So uh, that's where we we took the next step. That's where I took the next step with him, and I gave him his finish. Uh, oh no 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 not not the people's elbow no 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 not not the rock bottom no the uh, the shoulder breaker yes yes I gave him the shoulder breaker as a finish and I think there's a match actually I know there's a match uh, where the rock faces Doctor X and gives Doctor X that vicious shoulder breaker and it looks just as vicious as it sounds and uh, and and beats Doctor X but then. You know, it wasn't obviously it wasn't uh, what what was needed. It wasn't what what worked, and, and that's you know that's okay. That's how you try things. And later on, he came up with uh, the rock bottom, which works a heck of a lot better. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I mean, you, you you could see it that that he he was a smart aleck, or we can say smart ass on here, right? He was a smart ass, yep. but it, but it was yep. that, that that kind of fun smart ass type thing, you know, the the, the kind of person you want to be around. Where uh, I, I I truly do believe part of my philosophy is, is you must have fun doing this, and you've got to like it. And um, but at the same time, uh, you've got to work hard. So you got to know how to incorporate all this stuff into working hard and enjoying it at the same time. And that's what he was doing. Uh, also, he got along great with Mark, got along great with Ockham, and it was a good good crew. And uh, so, yeah, I knew all that, was anticipating and hoping that he would really um, move on and move up, and of course he did. But we, uh, you know, it was, it was one of those things that uh, you, nobody could tell. I don't think anybody could tell uh, that he was going to be as big a star as he as he turned out to be, but you know, uh, it, it it it's it's you never know. You, you can never tell when somebody's going to be a star or not. So, but yeah, I knew he had the potential for sure. So much potential with him. Now, as far as Doctor X, obviously it's Doctor Tom under a mask. But is that you at house shows, basically leading him through matches to kind of advance him along? Yeah, yeah, we did that. Um, there was house shows and TV, and that was my role. And, and it was a great role to be in back then because uh, I, I, it's great when somebody really gets it, and it's, it's even better when they, they get it and they had it before they came to you. And uh, now uh, they just get to prove it with you. 
and and that was kind of an exciting time because I I, I do remember on one one occasion I I think it was in uh, it was in Florida as well where we had a match Rock versus Doctor X and I think we worked a couple times on TV but it could anyway Jake was our agent and Jake laid this out and we we went out and uh, sometimes the great thing about putting on a mask is you can become whatever you want to become. Uh, and I thought that would be really easy. And you put on the mask, but you kind of forget that you have your own style and, and you, you have your own sense of timing. And we got in the, got in the ring and we'd gone over everything we knew what we were going to do, but it just, uh, just a, a second or a fraction off. And, and it just came across that way. So we were both disappointed in it, but Jake came back and says, listen, you, you've just got to be yourself. Even under the hood, you, you've got to be yourself. And the same thing with Dwayne. He's finding out who he is. You know, he's he, was he that smiling, happy, baby-faced kind of guy? Well, he was, he was a smiling, happy guy, but at the same time, you I, I got the impression. You know how people can be nice because that's what we do in society and we have manners and we... For nice, or some of us anyway. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, so, but but at the same time, I knew there was a fire behind him. I knew he'd play ball with Miami, and he, he was he was a he was a fighter, man. He was he was an athlete. He was one of those guys who obviously had the drive, and obviously had uh, the the. <laughs> I keep going back to this, but but he had the ingredients for success. He knew what he was going to do. He had a plan. And uh, when he went out for Survivor Series, and again with the haircut and the uh, whatever he was wearing was this, the the the. Do you remember what he wore? The blue stripes or uh, gosh, what are they called? Not stripes, but but streams running down. Not a robe, but it was just this. Yeah, it was. It, it wasn't. Uh, it yeah. screamed. It screamed. We need something else. They're almost like tassels, almost. Yeah, well, yeah, but not tassels. But yeah, yeah but in a, in a way, yeah. So you know what I'm saying. But and so it came out like that, and all of a sudden, and he won. Now people are getting the sense that you're, you're pushing this kid down our throats, and, and that's the worst thing you can do with a baby face you want to get over is push somebody down their throat that they don't want to be pushed down their throat. So uh, I, I think it was just... Uh, uh, one of those things from there that no matter what happened to him, uh, he was going to find a way to make it. He was going to find a way to uh, to to succeed. You you I, I, you could tell he he had he had something. We just didn't know how much he had and what he, what it was and that it would turn out into this. He was definitely because I was at Survivor Series '96 about uh, maybe 10, 12 rows back as a young fan, thinking like, okay, this guy, you know, he's there pushing him. He's the son of Rocky Johnson. I was like, oh wow, he beat that guy. Oh, you know, oh wow, he beats Lawler. Well, oh, wow, he beats Goldust. Like, oh my God, like they're getting this guy pushed. And he didn't really kind of wow the crowd as far as them loving him. Like you said, it was one of those things where it's almost like, okay, they're definitely trying to push this guy down our throat and not let it almost happen organically, right? That's like the kind of thing. It's not wasn't as organic as it should have been. Right, right. And and uh, I think though that was during a time in the company. Uh, well, it was during a time in the company where where changes were t- taking place and chances were being taken. And it was obvious that uh, you can do whatever you want to do in the entertainment business. You can you can map out however you want it to go, 
and uh, it's up to the people who who are portraying what you want them to portray to pull it off. And a lot of those promos between Austin and Rock, between Hunter and Rock, and between anybody in Rock were improvised. You know, you had the bullet points back then, and you had guys who could pull it off and react and understand and flow with it and do improv uh, because that's the business they grew up on. That's the business Rock saw his dad in. That's the business Austin grew up in. That's the business that Hunter grew up in. That's the business Shawn Michaels was a part of when he was a kid. And what I say a part of was it's, it was in his fabric when he would watch it on TV. The, the, the guys he watched didn't do scripted promos. They, it came from the heart. It came from, from, a, from a different place. And uh, so as that was happening and they saw that Rock was being rejected, I guess, as this huge baby face being shoved down their throats all of a sudden, and I believe it was Rock who said, hey, listen, something's not working. Let me let me be a heel. Let me do this, and let me, let me just turn it back on the fans and see what happens. And they went with it, and you saw what happened. Because now, as a natural smartass and having fun with it, and being able to be entertaining was great, and he was he was tremendous. He he would say, he would say stuff like if you smell what I'm cooking, uh, even in the when we were training. I mean, just 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 messing around, just playing. We would we would bounce back and forth off stuff all day long. So now he's getting to be himself. Now he's getting to have fun. Now he's getting to cut promos. Now the people are kind of seeing, hey, there's something to this guy. So. Yeah, uh, I mean, and that's that's that was, and I'm, I'm sure it still is. One of the things that WWE does really, really good is the they have the ability, or had, I don't know, had the ability to uh, change directions or in midstream if need be. If they felt like something wasn't going this way, let's try it that way. If it ain't working that way, let's try it another way. And and, and depending on how much you have invested, um. Try it every which way you can until you give up, and, and it just so happens that you have these uh, these great personalities, these great um, uh, characters who were real, interacting with each other, and it was it was a magic time actually because I don't know of any any other performers at, of that era, obviously, because if they were if there were any of them, they would have been in, in those places. So. So you had everybody in place like that, from Rock to Austin to uh, Hell Taker, Hunter, Shawn Michaels, uh, Mankind, um, and it just kind of kind of happened that way. Now, as far as his like athletic ability, and obviously, you know, you knew a little bit of his football background. He played for Miami. What did you think about him as an athlete? Because sometimes, you know, the football players maybe not translate to wrestlers. Obviously, some of them do. The Wahoo McDaniels, Ernie Ladd. I mean, there's a lot of good ones. But then there's also like the Steve McMichaels and the guys that don't necessarily translate. Did you immediately say this guy is a damn good athlete that will translate well? Well. Yeah, because he got wrestling. He grew up in wrestling. He 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 wanted to be a performer, no doubt. But I think the first love was the ring, and I see that even today with guys who are athletes. Uh, uh, one one guy in particular today wants who who is is with us wants to train and be a professional athlete. Well, okay, 
but there's a lot of steps to doing that, and especially in wrestling. You're right. A lot of football players get into this and think, oh, I can I can do some flips. I can do some stunts. And I've heard this before. I have been quoted, hey, I can do some stunts. Yeah, okay. And I played football. College? Well, no. Junior year of high school, but hey. Anyway. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that kind of stuff. And a lot of pro football players think, well, hell, I'm an athlete. I can just get in there and they can show me what to do, and I'll just do the rest. No. The difference is, while you can do the moves, what is missing? It's that feeling. It's that uh, intangible. What do you bring when you when you do the move? Do you just do a move, or do you do it with your flair, with your style, with your way of it? Do you make it your own? And you not only make it your own, but you make it look better than, than what that move could look like. Ricky Steamboat threw a hell of an arm drag. But Ricky Steamboat uh, got that from Jack Briscoe. And that's how Ricky grew up watching Jack in Tampa every weekend. Uh, same thing with The Rock. You know, he he knew how to do moves. He knew how his dad did things. Where you know, Rocky Johnson was a was a colorful wrestler. He was an entertaining guy too, and he knew how to move. So, you know, some of these guys get it because they understand what wrestling is. But without timing, without feeling, um. And without that personalization, I guess, when you step in the ring and make it your own, uh, you're just going to be another guy. You know, what makes this guy who played with the Hurricanes different than a guy who played for Maryland or whatever, or Tennessee uh, Vols? I mean, what makes it different is he feels it, he understands it, and and he gets it. And uh, without the timing... And without that that feeling in the ring, you're gonna people are gonna notice it. Whether they they notice it right up front at first, they'll notice it later on when they're watching and going, "Hey, something about this guy that's just not connecting." But Rock got it. I mean, he understood football. You know, he was gonna play for the NFL. That didn't happen. Going to CFL. That didn't happen. Uh, and the story about him coming home with seven bucks in his pocket. I heard that story even before he told it to everybody else. Uh, living on the piss-stained mattress. Uh, didn't know what he was going to do. This was it. So, you know, I've, 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 and I've heard that story from people before, too, about, oh, I've been through all this. I've been through all this. I, I know what sacrifice is. I know what dedication is. Okay, we'll prove it. Because I've seen it. I've seen guys like Rock. I've seen guys like Mark Henry. And I've seen guys who, like Steve Austin, who would buy a a sack of potatoes uh, to last through the week and catch a ride with somebody because you didn't have enough gas or your car's on the brink. And, and, you know, how are you going to make it? Why would you do that? Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you work for 40 bucks a night? And in some of these horrible towns, when I say horrible towns, I, they were great towns because you learned your craft there and you learned experience. But anybody else would look at this and say, oh, my God, uh, well, we, we don't have any showers here. Okay, well, oh, this is where we're going to dress. Oh, my God, there's, there's, there's how many people out there? But you still go out there and you perform. Um, and, and the ones who are determined to make it are, are going to make it no matter what. And uh, they also taught me 
uh, watching them, paying attention to them, uh, what you can and what you should do along the way uh, for that recipe to work. Because, again, you can have all the ingredients and you can keep adding them along, adding them along. And as years go by, you add some more, add some more. And when you get to that point in your career where you need to make a stand and you say, this is who I am, this is the way I will deliver it, and they say, no, this is the way we want you to deliver it, and then you say, no, look, give me a chance tonight. Just just bank on me tonight. Let me, let me, let me prove to you I can pull this off. And then they do it. So, I mean, that, that's, that's the difference between the great ones and the ones who aren't so great. They they actually go out and they're prepared and they do it. But that they didn't just prepare that night. They've been preparing all along. And I watched Rock prepare all along. And I watched a few other guys prepare all along. So that was, uh, uh, yeah, again, to make uh, give you your answer, as a football player, yes, he was he was very athletic, but he wasn't pigeonholed by any chance, by, by any stretch. Was he very coachable as far as, like, it's a wrestling training? I know he had a little bit before you, but was he coachable in what you wanted him to do? By all means, yes. Yes, yes, yes. What I wanted him to do was be himself. What I wanted him to do was feel it out there. He knew the moves of a wrestling match. He knew what to do. He just needed to get in there. There's no um, substitute for experience. We can talk about experience, but until you get that match under your belt, until you get matches under your belt, until you get ring time under your belt, you don't have it. So you can talk about it all day long like you know what you're talking about. But nobody knows what it's like to be in the ring, and nobody knows what it's like. We, we say, you know, the big difference is uh, you can be in the greatest cardio shape of your life. But cardio and ring shape are two completely different animals. Two completely different animals. And I love people who say, I'm going to do all the cardio, man. I'm doing 15, 20 miles a day. I'm ready for the ring. And they blow up in 15 minutes. I can get them to blow up in 10. I, I can do it five if I'm being an asshole, but, but I don't do that. But, but, but because we know, and, and the, the key is breathing and, and taking your time in the ring. Uh, so was he doing everything I asked him to do? Of course he was, because he knew the secrets of the ring. He knew how to breathe. He, and I don't know if anybody told him that, but, of course, I told Mark and I told Ockham the same thing. Just slow down. Take your time. If you think you're going too fast or too slow, you're probably going just right. But so many times, this is everyone's issue, all of us. When we, when we start, we rush. Uh, I don't think... I think Rock might have rushed in the sense that he was just so exuberant and happy to be there and, and had that fire, but I don't think he ever um, didn't didn't understand that there was a method to the madness and, and you couldn't just go out there and go bam, 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 and expect people to digest it. He understood you had to do something, let it breathe. You had to uh, sometimes do something a little quicker than the next, and then you had to stop and let it breathe. And, and of course, the style's changed over the years. Of course, it does. But the basics and fundamentals of telling a story and commuting, communicating to the audience never goes out of style. And Rock, I believe, was keyed in on that from day one. Do you think 
as far as you know rock and stuff do you think there's a, a point where you're training him where you're like okay he's ready or you know like he's so young at this point kind of going in but is there a point where you're like okay he's ready for this or he's ready for that is that something that gets asked of you like okay is he ready for tv is he ready for a hot yeah. spot in the cars like what like what's like the dialogue between you and maybe vince or whoever yeah it, it was jr you, you think he's ready for tv well, of course he is. He's he's going to go to Survivor Series in, in three months. Yeah, of course he's ready for TV. Do we need to bring him in for some dark matches? Yes, bring him in for some dark matches. Uh, Chris Candida worked with him in, in Corpus. Um, I worked with him a couple places. Uh, I think it was before. Oh, God, it might have been October. Might have been the month before. I'm trying to remember. We didn't put it on TV. It was just dark matches. And I think we want to brought him to a house show a couple times. But we were just really, uh, just to get him in there. And one thing I learned, too, if you wait until you're ready, you ain't never going to be ready. So, right, hey, you ready to do this? Uh, yeah. It's not, uh, no, I need a week. Yeah, sorry. That's not the answer. So, you know, it's it's you have to be prepared. And are you ever going to be fully, totally, completely prepared? Well, no. Are you? Well, yes. I mean, I say no, I say yes, but, I mean, you can't second-guess yourself. You have to believe. You have to be preparing for the time when it's time because you don't know when your time will come. And you have to be prepared. So start preparing now is what I say. And when I get on people, uh, I, occasionally, I, see, I don't want to be an asshole coach, but when I hear, when people come to me and they tell me their dreams, and I've heard it, I don't know how many times over the years, because I had the same dreams, I had the same things, but when people tell me this, I say, okay, are you willing to do whatever it takes? They don't understand that at the beginning. They say they do, but Rock understood. Whatever it takes, sometimes that means... Not sleeping, getting in at seven o'clock in the morning. You have to be on set by by nine uh, over at the studio because they had I forget the show going on live at that time. Live wire might have been even I don't know, but you know you might be traveling all night. Still have to make an appointment. You still have to work that night. You might have to do some other stuff, and then you also might show up. Some something may fall through. So how's your attitude going to be then? You know what. <sighs> Are you ever ready? <laughs> the only way you know is, is to find out. The new sponsor is Lucy. Lucy Nicotine is a company founded by Caltech scientists and former smokers looking for a better and cleaner nicotine alternative made for people, not patients. So Lucy has created a nicotine gum with four milligrams of nicotine, and it comes in three great flavors, wintergreen, cinnamon, and pomegranate, also the lozenge as well in cherry ice flavor. As well, you can go to lucy.co, that is lucy.co, and use the promo code Dr. Tom to get 20% off all products, including gum and lozenges. That's lucy.co. Use the promo code Dr. Tom at checkout. Also, have to give this disclaimer warning this product contains nicotine derived from tobacco. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. So Lucy.co made sure to use the promo code Dr. Tom, that's D-R-T-O-M. And I have some of the uh, cinnamon pomegranate. My brother-in-law, I'm not a smoker either, but I gave it to my brother-in-law who's a big smoker. He loves it because basically his wife and, and he's got two little kids were basically saying 
skill. You got you got to yeah. stop. You got to stop smoking. You stink. You got, and, and when he would go out and smoke, it was kind of embarrassing. They wouldn't let him smoke in the house, so he'd have to go around the corner, smoke, and he kind of hide, you know, from everybody. Come back in, uh, use the cologne or whatever, and stink. So he's saying this is great because first of all, the kids don't even realize they think he's chewing regular gum. So, right. he, so he was saying he absolutely loves it just for the fact that it's kind of one of those things where they don't know he's doing it. But yeah, there you go, Lucy. So, you know, I just think it's awesome, too, because his wife's happy and his kids are happy. He's not smoking, <laughs> smoking right now. Yeah. It's helpful for everybody, not only him, but the, for his family. A lot more healthy for you as well. So, I mean, if you, if you need a nicotine rush or need a nicotine fix, man, chew the gum. It does have a lot of cool flavors. Pomegranate and wintergreen and uh, cinnamon aren't bad at all. Yeah, if, if you do smoke, try this. Check it out. You won't be uh, looked at like you have four eyeballs coming out of your head. Awesome stuff from Lucy. So for all you taking to school with Dr. Tom, our listeners go to lucy.co. Use the promo code Dr. Tom for 20% off all products, including gum and lozenges. You know, you're mentioning the studio. and stuff. What is the actual training facility like as far as the ring is like it is it top notch is, is it good is it is it not good like it's got to be pretty decent right because it's in the studios and they're probably going to make it look nice my gosh man we were in the warehouse the, the studio has been built up so much yeah the last time i i, I think the last time i was in was oh gosh i don't even know 15 years um and i didn't recognize it then where we were at that time, the studio was 120 Hamilton Avenue, and you had the studios, and you had a warehouse. When you walked in through the reception, you go through the little hallway, you would walk into the warehouse, and that was where the ring was set up. It was a standard WWF ring at the time with the barricades around it with the mats on the floor. It was just like the arena, except we were in the warehouse. The studio people hated us because we would usually get there after lunch, Sometimes noon, sometimes one, uh, depending on what was going on. And when we'd start bumping, those guys would have to stop down in the studio when they're doing voiceovers or, or uh, plugs or whatever they were doing because we would bleed through into the studio. They didn't have anything at that time because it was, <laughs> it was a studio. It wasn't a wrestling school. It was a studio. And that's what we had set up. And then later on, there was a building uh, just right next door to the studio down. You had to go out the, the studio entrance and then go about, uh, gosh, uh, 30 yards, 40 yards, turn in a driveway, and there's a building there, and that was tracks. That was uh, uh, when, when they were doing Tough Enough. Mm-hmm. They, they, they rented out that building and were going to start it there, and they said, well, hey, we'll train people here too when, you're, when, when they come in town because at that time has everything – had uh, evolved, uh, I was in talent relations and watching over the developmental territories in Cincinnati, Louisville, Memphis, and wherever else we had it to at that time. So uh, I would spend a week, uh, you know, on the road in Louisville and Cincinnati back and forth, come back, make evaluations, go on the road, and also train people when they come in for tryouts in Stanford. Uh, but, but, WWE will do things first class because they want their guys to be trained the right way and they want the equipment to be the right way. One of the things, one of the things real quick, if I can go off on a side note here, uh, in the South, rings would always have cable ropes 
WWE and Northeast, uh, it's rope ropes. And the thing with rope ropes is it stretches. And if you have to leave that ring up, you need to undo the turnbuckles every day. You need to tighten them up every day. A cable, you don't have to do so much. Uh, but when we had our system in Louisville, Danny had the ring up every day, and, and the ropes would keep stretching. You have to pull them, and you have to tape, and, you, and it, was, it, it could be pretty mon- uh, laborious. <laughs> you would have to actually, uh, I mean, you would, you would, it, it would take, to do it right, you'd have to take a good hour, uh, a lot of times, to, to make sure, you know, ring maintenance, which is good, which is, I'm not uh, saying that's a bad thing. I'm just saying that when you have a lot of guys going in and out and you have things that uh, you, you you need to get done, um, that's one of them. And, you know, Vince was very adamant about get, getting the guys able to work on rope, rope as opposed to cable because there are two huge differences there, obviously. And um, so they, they made sure we had arm rings with rope and they made sure that anything we needed was taken care of. Dumb question. How big is the ring? 20 by 20? 20 by 20. So take me through kind of like uh, the day for the rock. I mean, he, him, Brackett, Mark Henry, they, they went from their apartment. What time do they start? What do they do? Is it, is it you know, 9 a.m. start and they go right into cardio? Wait. Give me kind of a um, just a, like a day by day of, of just a normal day for those guys. Sure. We would meet at the gym on the second floor of uh, Titan Towers. Beautiful, beautiful gyms, just just like a Gold's gym in the office. Uh, we we all had a key, key to the office. Um, we'd meet usually usually by nine, but but we'd get there anywhere anywhere between eight and nine in the morning, and we would train. And they had a cafeteria on the second floor as well. And we would just uh, uh, we'd after the gym. Go grab something to eat, and we head over to the studio. We'd usually be in the studio either, like I said, uh, by noon or one mm-hmm. o'clock sometimes, and then we start warming up. We'd start working out. The deal was, uh, I was the guy who who was having to take all the bumps. Now Rock would take some bumps, but I was taking bumps for him because he was trying all his stuff. But I was also taking bumps for Brockus and Mark Henry, which got again a little bit. Monotonous, and uh, you, you know they're they're pretty big guys. So I mean, I'm I'm taking it, uh, but but that's what we would do, and we would have the big round sweat puddle with with four of us working in the ring uh, every day, and we would go Monday through Friday if there were shows on Saturday, and I think at that time, if I'm not mistaken, we were also or we just started or we're, gonna, we're about to start. Uh, with some of the shows around there too, you had some um, indie guys up there, and 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 they were running shows, and and I think trying to work something out, which I think we did eventually with with the Funkin' Dojo, where the guys could come and work on some of the shows and get experience. And so we would train, and with Brockus, I mean, he knew nothing. Mark was a fan. Mark at least knew wrestling. But he knew nothing either. He didn't know how we did it. He didn't understand how. Well, he didn't understand. He was just a big, strong guy. And it takes a little while sometimes. It just, it just. He he was an athlete coming from a different sport, 
and he didn't understood he didn't understand how the system worked and <laughs> professional wrestling as well as yes WWE or WWF at the time it certainly has a method and a system and it's like anything in life you you have to learn it and you you, you yeah. I wish it was different but it's not and uh we would train usually go until about 4, 4.30. Then we would all go home. Uh, if we wanted to go out to eat, we'd go out to eat. And and there's another thing we did. On a couple of occasions, we'd go to Danbury and grab a movie because that's all we had to do. It was a great, great time to be there. I mean, uh, I was in the business. I was I was not just in the business. I had an office in the fourth, on the fourth floor of the Stanford Towers, or Titan Towers. And... All I'm getting, all I have to do is train. Done by five, six, need be. If we wanted to do something late that night, no problem. We had the studio whenever we wanted. We were a priority, which was great. But again, the guys had to do VOs and stuff. It wasn't so great because we're bleeding through. If if they needed to stop, if they wanted us to stop bumping because there's actually something they really, really just needed to get out, they would come. Somebody would come out and ask, hey. Could you guys maybe not bump for about thirty minutes or an hour, and then we'd watch tapes? And that's the other thing: we'd watch tapes, we'd watch matches. We had everything at our fingertips in the studio, so we could watch a match uh, from the '80s. We could we could watch a match as far back as we wanted if we wanted Mark Henry to be be like somebody. And I'm trying to think of who we watched for Mark. I, I, I I'm completely blank right now, but we would watch matches. Uh, not only just to get moves and ideas from, but also to show these guys who came before them and um, uh, have have an idea of who they're following and why they should have respect for who they're following. That is very cool. That's a good little history lesson for those guys, too. Yeah. As far as, far as like... Mark Henry, let's just say, you know, you see him, and we, we talk about The Rock. It's like, okay, this guy has something. He may have some it factor. With Mark Henry, I know we're kind of going a little bit diverting from the topic, but with Mark Henry, was that so obvious that he was going to make it, or was he, like, less obvious, let's just say, than The Rock? Well, yeah, it, it was it was less obvious. But here here's the deal with Mark. Um, Mark had been an elite athlete pretty much his whole life, and he had been – Treated as an elite athlete, and he'll he'll tell you this, man. He 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 had come from uh, the world of powerlifting, where he was treated as a special guy, and he is a special guy. He was a special guy, but he was young, and he didn't know any better. So, I I, I think in the beginning, Mark felt that all he had to do was be Mark, and yes, he did. He did need to be Mark. He did need to have that that smile. He did need to have that outgoing personality. But he also needed to know when to step back. He also needed to know that, okay, you, you might have been this athlete here, but right now you're stepping into a whole different world. And here you have guys who are uh, stars in this world, and some of them may know you, but a lot of them ain't going to know you. So don't expect for everybody to come down and bow down and kiss the ring because that ain't going to happen. Well, uh, he he wasn't sure, 
how to take that, and, and the boys can be the boys. The boys looking at a new guy coming in and, you know, with the impression that he already felt like he fit in and he belonged, and, and it's not the way it works, and especially with the crew you had back then. Like you had Davey Boy and, and gosh, Brett was there. Brett was good, though. I mean, uh, but but you had some of the guys who who were going to test him, and and, and I, I think I could be wrong, but in any company at that time, I'll, I'll say this: I'll just talk about what I know. At that time, in the company or in the wrestling business, the guys were going to test you. See how much you can take. See what you'll take. See what you're willing to put up with. See what you're willing to do. And and uh, and you had Bradshaw back then too. And John, <laughs> I like John, but John's John. You know, John's just one of those guys that that this is what what you're going to get with him. And uh, you better be prepared. If you can't take it, don't let him know, and don't show that you get mad because that just yeah, that's gasoline on the fire. And and Mark was trying very hard. He really was. But I don't know, and he'll he'll probably tell you this in the beginning too, because I just saw him a couple months ago. He stopped by here in Knoxville, which is very, very cool. Stopped by the school, and he was telling some of the kids, he says, when I first started, I didn't get it. And as time went on, he did. But Mark, you know, needed to lose some weight. He needed to get in ring shape. And we would run the ropes sometimes. And I was trying to tell the guys, you know, when you run the ropes, you have to put your right hand over the top rope and grab the top rope. Do you know why you do that? So you don't fall through, right? So you don't fall through. And if the rope breaks, too, you can break your fall. And it's broke on me twice in over 40 years. In, in the 40 years that I've actually uh, been in wrestling or been around wrestling, let's say over 50 years, actually, that I've been around wrestling, uh, it's broken me twice. Didn't go all the way to the floor. I was able to catch myself, which is good. But I've seen it break more than twice. And that's it. It may never happen to you, but it can happen. It has happened. And Mark was. Dwayne was away one day, and I think this was probably after Survivor Series. And uh, it was Occam and Mark. And we had just had a particularly, really, really hard workout. We're, we're bleeding through our shirts with sweat, and uh, so we're getting out of the ring. Akam and I get out of the ring. We had two monitors on top of We had a monitor on top of another monitor, so two monitors on top of each other. And the, the top monitor was live, so I had a camera that was facing the ring. We filmed everything. So the live feed is still going on, and we can see on the top monitor, and we can hear it, of course. Uh, Mark hits the ropes, okay, he starts slow, but then he starts going up fast. I'm rewinding the other monitor monitor below to watch what Occam had just done, and I get right to the point, the stop, and all of a sudden, Mark hits the ropes, and his head goes between the top and the middle rope, and it hooks his neck, and it hooks uh, his ankle on the canvas in the ring, and it snaps. This was a time when all the office personnel and the studio personnel were at this uh, the Marriott Hotel, the exit for the office for a company meeting, and we're the only ones in the studio. And Marcus just broke his ankle. 
uh, because he just he he was trying to go so fast and he slipped through the ropes because he didn't put his right arm over the top rope. And he broke it, and uh, I thought I was going to get fired for sure. He was out. I think I put him back a couple months, obviously, and uh, he did. He he wasn't sure how to react to that either. You know, he he wasn't sure how to react to to the way people were reacting to him. You know, breaking his ankle, and he would come to the studio and he would read the paper instead of watching his train. And then Vince found out about that because we taped everything, and he could see uh, as he's watching, uh, or somebody was watching. I don't think Vince was watching our our practice. Somebody happened to see this. I know Jr. was watching. I know Bruce was watching. But he would watch the tapes, and he would see Mark reading the newspaper while Ockham and I. I I don't know if Wayne was there or not at this time. Uh, Dwayne was there or not. But anyway, uh, and Vince finally called Mark in and showed him him what he had been watching. It's like, no, listen, I'm behind you, but but you've got to put the work in. and You've got to show me that you really want this. And he finally did. So, I, I mean, I've seen athletes like that who come in with one one idea and their perception of what they think this is. And then some of them go through the fire and they go through the training and some of them really embrace it and others run from it. You know, Occam, I liked him a lot. He was a bodybuilder. And uh, he, he wanted to get it, but I don't know that he really understood uh, when you go out to the ring, what a wrestling match was. He he didn't really watch wrestling growing up. He was a bodybuilder. So when you when you go into an arena with screaming wrestling fans in in spandex and uh, going out there with these different characters that he doesn't really know and these guys don't really know him, but in his world he is a superstar. Uh, but the wrestling fans don't know much about bodybuilding. Some of them do, but the majority don't. So, you know, Occam tried, and I worked with him for three weeks straight on the road, and my gosh, man, he was killing me. But he was one of the guys that that, that I don't know if it ever clicked. And, well, no, it didn't click because he got out. But with Mark, it clicked. With Dwayne, it clicked. With a few other guys, it clicked. But others, you know, you, you see them, they talk a great game. But it's all talk, and you you have to come in and you have to do it. You have to feel it, and you have to go through the the heartaches. You have to go through the triumphs. You have to go through all these these things, and that's part of the process. And some of them dig it, and some of them don't. That's why I say you have to have fun doing this. But but you have to have fun, and you have to have, you have to like the hard work because it is hard work. So would you train Rock, Mark Henry, and Brackett differently as far as each one of them individually, or you're, in essence, training them the same? No, we're training the same, pretty much. But the the difference comes in in their personalities. Like, Rock would try what he wanted to try, and we would work on things with Rock. Mark was Mark and Occam were more on this beginner's level. While Rock was a beginner, yes, he had been watching it, been around it, been in locker rooms his whole life, been around athletes, been around characters, been around, I mean, he had been around characters. In 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 when Rocky Johnson was 
hot when Rocky Johnson was on top, when Rocky Johnson was one of the, the stars in the business in the 70s, uh, I saw him in Houston. Um, I, I, I got to know him a little bit as I was growing up as a kid and working around the office and doing things around the ring and things like that. Bach was his son. So obviously there was a different dynamic, but but and and if you've read his story, Rock's story, then you know the the things he's seen and, and grew up with. And I mean, it's it molds you one way or another. And uh, so when you're in the ring with people like that, I, I I always try to find out where are they at mentally here. Where are they at? Do do they understand when we lock up? When you lock, when I lock up with somebody, and they they don't know what they're doing, and I explain it, and after twenty minutes, now we're dancing. Okay, I get it, and they get it, and we'll see where they can go after this. So I'll try different things with them. Like, are you ready to grab a headlock? Are you ready to get your body language? Not everybody does things the same. Uh, so I have my way, they have their way. Blah blah blah. So whatever works for Dwayne Johnson might not work for Mark Henry, but I'm going to try it with Dwayne's way, and then if it works better for Mark to do it this way, and it looks good, and we're safe, I'm good with that. And that's the way we'd work with both guys. Occam isn't, isn't going to be a wrestling technician. He's not, he's not going to grab a whole lot of uh, arm bars or, or hammer locks on me. He may grab it to hold me down, but we're going to do something to make uh, his body and, and his persona uh, stand out, or at least we tried. And so no, it was it was Dwayne getting in there because he kind of had a feel for it. And you're in there dancing, you're in there um, locking up, you're in there doing reversals, just just doing repetition, repetition, repetition. And that gets monotonous after a while. If you don't love this, it's it's going to be really drudging on your on your day and taxing all day long because because we would be in there four or five hours sometimes. Um, so yeah, I, I just had to, uh, uh, adjust it to whoever I was in the ring with, whether it was Dwayne, Mark, or Occam. And we would watch, and to go back to this, we would watch the, the video of anybody we wanted to pull up, anybody who might've been in WWE or anywhere else because they had the catalog, uh, just to get an idea Hey, this guy looks like you. Hey, this guy has the same body type. Hey, I got an idea. You might be able to do this. And man, it was right there. So. And as far as like you said, Brackus, three weeks or whatever on the road, he's killing you. He's going to end up not making it. Mark Henry's going to take years in progression, and he's and he's going to end up making it. Rock, you could tell pretty quickly, this guy's going to make it. Can you kind of like? How, what's the time frame of like assessing? Like, I think this guy's got something. I think he's going to make it eventually. I think the guy's going to make it quick. Like, what's the time frame in your head? Like, okay, Brackett isn't going to make it. Rock's going to make it. Mark Henry will make it probably in a few years. No, I, I don't. I don't think that was ever even in the uh, equation about a time. Well, it might. It might have been, but with those three in particular, and just with, with people in particular, when they came for a tryout. My thought process was, I'm going to see if these guys have any idea, because this is a feeling business. You, 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 you can't grab somebody and take them over and, and just and whip them over 
uh, safely if they don't know you're going to whip them over. You, if I'm going to take somebody, I want them to understand, you'll know when I grab you and where I, the way I position my feet, my body, my hip, whatever it may be, I'm not going to, I'm not pulling anybody over hard. I'm, I'm directing you, I'm guiding you, but you'll feel how I take you. You'll feel it. And you need to time that with me. I will time it with you, but I'm and I'm not going to go fast. Nobody should go fast, but but it's timing, and that's what makes us so such a uh, a specialized performance or a specialized match or specialized business because not just anybody can really do this and make it look the way it should look, make it be the way it should be. You know, if you've ever gone to an independent show, you've seen guys out there playing wrestler. WWE don't play wrestler. They're professionals. They're sports entertainers. They are these these guys are the cream of the crop. They're the best of the best, or they should be. And uh, I don't. I think the time process is: Do you look at this guy and say, "There's something there." Again, for instance, I've got a guy right now who's an athlete. There's something there, but he's he's just clueless. Uh, he he doesn't get why we put um, a drop kick here instead of just a flip. <laughs> well, you know, I shot him in the turnbuckle, and then you just stood there and you did a backflip. Why? Well, I saw Rob Van Dam do it once. Okay. <laughs> Let me ask you, why did you do it? Uh, well, uh, I just told you, because I saw Rob Van... No, you don't have a clue why you did it, right? No, I don't. So, but, 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 and, and that's been a year now, but I, I still think, and this goes with the people that are turned WWE, I still think that if you can find a way to showcase this fantastic athletic ability and learn the showmanship, and learn uh, the performance art, and learn all the athletic parts to wrestling, and make it look like what wrestling is supposed to look like. Listen, everybody knows the secrets. Everybody knows what's going on. Or do they? They think they know, and we've been exposed and told, and all this other great stuff. But I tell you, man, I watched Adam Cole and Finn Balor, was it last week or a couple weeks ago? Mm -hmm. And it's it, I got that feeling of watching a match. I got that feeling of watching these guys go out and perform. I got that feeling these guys, they're competing, but they're competing with each other. They're competing to show each other that they know how to do what's next. They know how to tell a story better. They have an idea in the ring. They're not confined to, this is our script, this is our repertoire, this is what we'll do. Even though they were on TV, I can tell you right now, just watching those guys, they might have known where they were going, yes, but they didn't know exactly how they would get there. They might have had a rough outline. They might have had a drawing or a drawing. They might have had an idea. But what the, the, the talent is taking an idea where you just have, maybe even don't have the beginning, but you have the finish. Taking that idea, knowing you have to get here, and figuring out along the way, how do you make it ex 
exciting? How do you make the people engaged? How do you get all these emotions you need to get to get to that final finish and pull off what you're trying to pull off? Um, so you, you don't know sometimes in six months. You don't know sometimes in six years. Um, because I've seen people who've been around for, God, I've seen people who've been around for 15 years who've gotten better, but because they waited 15 years to really get better, or, or it took them 15 years to get better, the boats kind of sailed on them trying to get anywhere where it would have made any uh, any difference in making a living out of wrestling, out of making a living as a professional. They can do it because they love it, um, and they got better at it because as you go along, you find out, man, after a while, getting your head rattled or having somebody drop you on your head in the ring or or having somebody laying on you or, uh, <laughs> in a headlock when it's not, you don't need to do that. You need to, you can look like you're laying on somebody, but the art form is, is making it look that way and, and, and you don't feel anything. So, um, I... <laughs> I, I don't know right now at this day and age if you can look at somebody and say, all right, we'll give them six months. I don't know if that's possible. But sometimes you have to do that, I think, with business being business and the realization that not everybody's going to be a superstar. Maybe you do. Maybe you have to uh, uh, look at it and say, all right, if you don't get it within four weeks or not, not four weeks, let's say four months, well, then we've got to move you down. But we didn't do it then. As far as The Rock, we were talking about Survivor Series. So Survivor Series comes and goes. He wins the match. It's his big debut, third-generation superstar. He's, he's getting a little bit of a push. He's kind of rejected as a babyface. He himself eventually says, you know, I should be a heel. I'm a little bit of a smartass. I got this attitude. I got this talking ability. How proud are you of him at this point? Like, okay, I really not only helped this guy in the ring, but mentally – I got him to a place where it's like, okay, he's starting to really get it. He's feeling his way around the business. Well, here's the deal, and, and this is still my attitude, but I'm, I'm, uh, but I'm, I'm older now, and I've done it for a few years now. I, I never looked at it like that. I just looked at it as we were training every day, and this is my job now, and this is the opportunity. I never wanted to take credit or say, hey. I did this because of this, and this is why you're because. This is why you're doing it because of what I did for you. I don't think I ever took it like that, ever looked at it like that. I was extremely proud, extremely happy for him, and I've been extremely proud and extremely happy for anybody I've ever had the opportunity to train or even be a part of helping train uh, with any kind of success. Seamus is, is another guy who... When when he came in, he looked like an action figure, and another guy who you just kind of knew because he had this this something about him, and uh, the Rock had that something about him. He just needed to know how to figure out uh, a way to activate it. So when he did activate it, and when it did come out, I was very happy and proud for him. I I, I never sat back and said, well, you know, I remember that time and. Uh, in the studio, when we went over those uh, those spots, and finally he dropped an elbow on me. And now, ah, yeah, that was that time. No, I never did it like that. But but um, 
I do know that some of the guys who came through did did learn how to do other things and different things uh, while training in the ring and training in the warehouse that they applied uh, later on as they, as they got better. He definitely appreciates your training. Like we talked about last week, that great tweet that he put out there, telling everybody to get to JPWA and get to training, that you're such a great trainer. You think when you know, you're looking at that and you're like, wow, one of the guys I trained looks back and he has so much good things to say about me. Does that kind of make you proud? Not the fact that it's like, okay, train him, but the fact that he appreciates what you did. Oh, of course. Of course. It, you know, I think as we go on, uh, and probably we all do it, but I know in the business, a lot of us, um, as we as we go on and don't have as much interaction as we did uh, when we were on the road every night, think that we're forgotten and nobody cares and nobody appreciates what we did. So when someone, when anyone, not just not just Rock, but when anybody, uh, anybody acknowledges that uh, they appreciate what you did for them, oh my God, that's 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 so great. And that, that's, I want to say it's humbling. It's it's tremendous, and it really is. It it is, but it's just it's nice to know um, that that they do get it because I don't think that I ever went in to intentionally bury anybody in the ring or bury anybody, even if they were horrible and uh, had a bad attitude. If they were horrible and had a bad attitude, I would take them to the side and I would talk to them. Sometimes you needed to be yelled at, but I didn't, I never yelled. That wasn't my deal. I would, I would explain to you matter of factly that you're being an asshole and there's a system and there's a way of doing things. And I haven't done always, I haven't done things the right way a lot of time. Well, most of the time I, I learned through my experience and then I learned through being in the meetings now that I was able to go to and listen to the people who make decisions talk about talent and their feelings on talent and why. And it's as simple as they have faith in the talent because the talent has developed a relationship, and we've been over this before too, and it's turned into trust. And uh, they've either proven that the trust was uh, was was taken uh, the right way, and they and, and their faith has been paid off by by producing, or or not. So, um, and because I had just a little bit to do with it or whatever it might have been, just a bit of training for for a short amount of time, my God, if somebody even says, you know, thank God I got in the ring that day or thank God whatever, yes, my, I couldn't be more proud. I couldn't be more humbled. I couldn't be more thankful and grateful because we all, we all know uh, here today, gone later today. And that's happened to me a couple times. I showed up in the morning at 7.30, and I was gone by 10. So, I mean, that's a true story, too. And and that's just life. But but I, with anything else, you, you can't stay down. They they may put the boots to you and, and bury you as far as they can, but as long as you have two arms and two feet, and was it James Ellsworth who said, Paul's man's got two fists, he's got a chance, or whatever it may be. I mean, you can't, uh, somebody can, can kick you down a flight of stairs, but you just get back up, man, and, and don't, 
uh, don't take no for an answer. So I've had, and I've had a lot of people get in my face. That's what I'm saying. I, I know what it's like to be scolded. I know what it's like, and I hate to do it, but, but I'm, I'm working on a method too. I'm working, I'm working on a system too. Do, do you get, I've tried it this way. I've sat down and said, listen, I don't think you need to go to the bar tonight. I think maybe you should come to practice. Well, I got to go see my girl. I understand. Okay. And the next time I see you. Okay. Let me ask you something. How bad do you want this? I want it more than anything in the world. We didn't want it that bad because last week you went to the bar. Last week you had to go get your girl. Now I got to be an asshole. Now I got to really say it this way because I tried being nice last time. Do you want me to be an asshole? I don't want to be an asshole. But when you're doing stupid stuff and you don't get it or you, you, you tweet something out and you don't know that it's stupid or you do Instagram and you film somebody in the dressing room that they don't know you're filming and you don't see anything wrong with it, it's, 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 and it's innocent, didn't do anything. But this guy doesn't want it filmed. Now you pissed him off. You pissed the promoter off or you pissed some of the other guys off. So there's little elements in this business, just like in life, that can hurt you without you knowing it can hurt you. And you, I don't understand that, Coach. I don't get it. Okay, well, let me explain it to you one more time. And if you can't understand it, then you're just a moron. That's all it is. So, and, that, and that's the hard facts today because a lot of people who, who want to get into this in this day and age, you got to remember, man, rock... Rock, Mark, and Occam, that was in 96. We have come so far, this world, this country, this business. This, we've, we've changed as a society. But you don't know what's next. You don't know. And, and, and that's why, um, with the knowledge that I do have, I can tell you that sometimes it's better to be uh, safe and sorry, and sometimes it's better to remain silent than speak up, and re- or, re- or better to remain silent, be thought of a fool, than speak up and remove all doubt. And you may have to get your your opinion out there, but maybe you can wait. If you don't have any stroke yet, and you're just starting out, and you're you're this young guy, and you show up, and you think everybody should bow down at your feet, and everybody should be happy you're here, everybody should love you. Ah, uh, no. Respect is given, earned, and then, or, or respect is is given, earned, and then got. And some people don't get that. And I think that is a great stopping point for this week. Is it awesome to kind of reminisce with you about his training? And, and as we go through, we'll go through a lot of the other guys you train. Not only Mark Henry Brackett. And obviously, The Rock, one of the biggest stars of all time. But we'll get into some other guys, some very interesting guys. But kind of before we get into the plugs, what is going on in the world of JPWA? What's going on with the the Jacob Pritchard Wrestling Academy? Well, January 6th starts our first class of our fifth, uh, the the fifth, fifth class, first class of 2020. And uh, we're looking forward to... Uh, seeing how many people actually show up. It's with with anything involving a wrestling school, you don't know until until you get there. The thing that I do know is we are certainly going to stay uh, consistent for 2020. In other words, we're going to have uh, three 12-week sessions, and all of our dates are now on jpwrestlingacademy.com. 
and we're going to have one 10-week session at the end of the year. So we are excited about the second year of uh, JPWA starting. We, I can't wait to see how many people uh, uh, want to come by and stop through as they're, as they're coming through town, passing through town. Because we had we had some really cool people stop by last year, and uh, I, I I just have to greet today with excitement and a positive attitude. Go in from uh, three o'clock in the afternoon till ten at night. We have a advanced class from three to six, and six to ten is our beginners class. So it'll it'll be interesting. If I get two people, great. If I get four, the last year, last January when we started, actually. We started out with six people, and we didn't do a lot of advertising. But uh, the night we had an orientation, the media showed up, uh, gave us some great press, and uh, out of all that great press, I think 20 people came live to see us uh, for the orientation, listen to what we had to say. Out of all that, uh, six people showed up. We had a kid drive all the way from... California, cross country. Oh, man, he 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 is he. His dad wanted him to follow in the family business, and um, but he doesn't want to do it. He wants to be a wrestler, and and this is all he ever wanted. And he, gosh, man, I, I'm going to live my dream. Okay, are you sure? Yes, yes. I've saved money. I've I've saved money. Just do this. All right. And he lasted uh, two weeks. Um, wound up with four in the first class last year. So I know it's going to be, it's challenging. And, and you have to ask yourself, and I ask myself this real quick, and I know we'll wrap it up. Why would anybody move to Knoxville, Tennessee uh, for wrestling school, to live out your dream, to do what you've always wanted to do? The answer is this. Knoxville is a pretty reasonable city to live in. It's beautiful. It has some mountains. You have Sevierville right around the way, Gatlinburg, Pigeon Forge, a lot of things to do in Knoxville, Tennessee. The cost of living is pretty pretty reasonable. People are nice. The weather's not so bad. It's cold in the wintertime. It's hot in the summertime, of course. But, but really about May, it's not a bad place at all. Go outside, no jacket, and uh, really enjoy yourself. We have a great facility in Hardin Valley. Uh, and you have the opportunity to train, ask questions, have fun, and learn professional wrestling. Live your dream. Will you ever make it to WWE? I don't know. Nobody knows. Nobody can look in the future and tell you. But would you try it on the independent scene? Do you get a taste of it? Would you have a match? I had a guy last year, too, who he said, all I want to do is just have one match. And I trained before when I was 20-something, and um, oh, some uh, he said he, he called it a ghetto wrestling school. So, okay, and the guy was going to book him in a match, and that fell through. And he says, listen, can I – he was doing stuff for us. And he said, I, I just I, – I've never had a match. I want to just say, I just want to do it. If there ever comes a possibility or opportunity, and the opportunity happened to present itself, and he's been in, I think he's had maybe six matches now, or six opportunities, and, and gone in Battle Royals, he's been in tag matches. So you don't know where an opportunity is going to arise. We've had uh, some, uh, a couple of our students, more than a couple of our students, I think eight of our students on 
Raw and SmackDown this last year. We were just so fortunate for that to come our way. You don't know, but you can't get those opportunities if you're not here. And uh, so when people, when I hear the question, why would anybody move to Knoxville? <laughs> I mean, it's wrestling school. Why would they move? Well, because they want to fulfill their dream. And even if they get here and they figure out, ah, the same for me, but at least you figured it out and you took the step to find out, ah, maybe this isn't what I thought it was. But you don't know that until you find out, until you actually take that step. And, hey, if you ever want to make it at WWE, you think maybe Glenn Jacobs, a.k.a. Kane, a guy that was on TV for 20-plus years, and Dr. Tom, a guy that trained The Rock and Vince himself, you ever think that maybe that might be the best avenue? I think if you're a, you know aspiring for a wrestler, that may be the venue to get yourself to WB. Could be wrong, but I think uh, odds are good. Well, we, we make no promises because we don't know. We, and we can't say, hey, if you come here, we guarantee it. Because you have other schools out there that are that are really great schools. And I, I can sit here and tell you, Seth Rollins has a school. Ricky Morton has a school. Uh, uh, Hawkins and uh, uh, Pat Buck. Kurt Hawkins, Pat Buck have a school, Creative Pro up north, uh, Danny Cage and uh, Monster Factory. There's a lot of guys out there. And real quick, I don't mean to go long on this, PJ, but i got to tell you, there's a lot of guys out there who really love the business and want to do right by the business and want to treat the people who come into the business and what come into a wrestling school. Uh, they don't want them to leave with a bad taste in their mouth. They, they want them to come in and say, hey, I went to the best wrestling school ever, and I learned this, 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 and this. I might not have got to make it to a great co- to a great company to a big company, but I got to wrestle. I got to wrestle. There's there's some independent promotions around that aren't so bad. There's some pretty good ind- independent re- promoters out there, but you just have to know how to get to them. You have to know how to be steered that way. So uh, we can't guarantee you that if you come with us, you'll definitely go to WWE. But nobody can guarantee that. You just don't know what they're looking for. But there's an opportunity for somebody to walk through our doors, opportunity for somebody to walk through any wrestling school door. But we've just been, again, this past year, been very fortunate to have WWE superstars and some people who, who have come in to train because they didn't want to go, didn't want anybody else to know their... They're doing this, so JPWA offers a, a kind of an out-of-the-way ring for them to go where they're not under any spotlight, and nobody knows they're in there except the people who need to know they're in there. For instance, if you go to Orlando, hell, there's going to be more than one or two people know you're there, and then uh, they don't want that to, to happen. So anyway, my point is uh, we're going to do everything we can to make this the, uh, the best school out there. And I think every coach uh, worth his salt is going to say the same thing. But uh, I hope everybody succeeds, and I'd love for everybody to succeed, and I'd love for everybody who comes to the school, no matter where it may be, to succeed. But at least take that step and live your dream. Of course, also, JPWA has a pro wrestling tea store. Check it out. Pick up a shirt. Also, JPWA is on Patreon. You can check a lot of videos that they post up on there. Very cool stuff. Our website is tmptempire.com. You can follow me on Twitter at Two Man Power Trip. You can follow Dr. Tom at Dr. Tom Pritchard. You can also email the show. Any questions, comments, concerns, whatever it is, 
and that email address is tompritchardpodcast at gmail.com. And, of course, Dr. Tom, if you have any personal appearances, let us know. Ooh, uh, that's a great thing to do because I just had a personal appearance last night. I was just – oh, yeah. But anyway, but uh, I don't – I have to look at my book here, and I have my book right here. Um, yeah, we have we we actually do uh, have some stuff coming up, and uh, let me let me say this because 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 we have a fantasy camp coming up for anyone who. Which, thank you for reminding me of that. We have a fantasy camp coming up for JPWA February twenty second. Uh, here in Knoxville, Tennessee. That's a Saturday. And that goes from 12 to 5. So if you want to save now, that's $99, uh, 12 12 noon to 5 p.m. that afternoon uh, on February 22nd. Also, on February 7th in Sevierville, Tennessee, or Pigeon Forge, Tennessee, actually, Ken Folk Wrestling, KFW. It's a benefit for Tracy Smothers. Uh, Tracy's going through some tough times right now, and uh, the wrestling community around here has pretty much come together and wanted to do something special for Tracy. We saw him a couple weeks ago at the Bobby Eaton Appreciation Night, and uh, the good folks over there, Tommy Henry uh, with KFW, are putting together the show. It's uh, on uh, 1004 Parkway in Pigeon Forge, Tennessee. You can go to their website, too. It's KFW uh, Wrestling or Facebook, whatever. But I'll be there. We'll be doing a podcast there that night as well uh, in conjunction with KFW. So, But that's that's the the two recent ones. I don't want to go any farther than that. Actually, I can go farther than that if you want. March 7th, I have an Ian Rotten seminar in Jeffersonville, Indiana, too. So, But as we go on, I'll, I'll mention these along the way. All right, awesome stuff as always. Dr. Tom sharing a lot of great knowledge, and I'd like everybody check out JPWA everywhere, Twitter, Facebook. Just go to the website, check it out, get signed up, and, of course, join us this week and every week for Taking You to School with Dr. Tom Pritchard. Thanks for listening to the two-man power trip of wrestling, What the World is Downloading.